I put way, way, way too much time into thinking about Star Wars, my relationship to Star Wars, like way more than any normal person <laughs> should. <laughs> Welcome to The Books We Loved, a podcast through the Troy Public Library. Today, we are talking about Star Wars. Star Wars. If you I wish you guys unfamiliar. could see the hand gestures oh, that yeah. goes with the music. Will you do it again? I added that little bit in. <laughs> If you're unfamiliar with the Star Wars franchise, it is a 1977 to later than that. Current. Current day. Really current with what's going on with Disney+. Plus. Yes. So it is a sci-fi franchise that started in 1977 by George Lucas, who Mm -hmm. we'll be talking about in this episode with our guest Michael, a Troy patron and a Star Wars enthusiast. Star Wars. Giant fan. Giant fan. He knows a lot about Star Wars. Very we're going to hear a lot. We're going to learn a lot about Star Wars today yep. from Michael. Yep. And we're going to talk about it. We have we brought a few little tidbits, things that we had read. Um, I learned that Star Wars is called a space opera. And I have heard that term before, but I didn't really know where it came from or what it meant. And the definition of a space opera is that it's a real world subgenre of science fiction that emphasizes romantic adventure, exotic places, and larger-than-life characters in a galactic or intergalactic setting. I feel like that one is just describing Star Wars. 100%. Right? Yeah. And so I was like, how did it become a space opera? And I thought maybe, like, when you think about an opera, you think about a show that has, like, a ton of people in it. It's very dramatic. There's, like, adventure sometimes. It's, like, Mm -hmm. big. It has the crescendo in the center, which is episode, the originals are episodes four, five, and six, which didn't really make sense at the time, but we know he was planning a prequel. And number five, which is The Empire Strikes Back, that's where you hit the crescendo moment. Oh, a crescendo. And it leaves you on a giant cliffhanger, so you have to watch Return of the Jedi to see if the Jedi do in fact return, or if they do return, and the rebellion is crushed. Very dramatic. Very, very dramatic. Peak, very peak, yeah. very climax. And so I did a little bit more reading into the space opera. And it has a very interesting etymology or word origin. Um, and I read that in the 1920s, westerns were referred to as horse operas. and Just because anything that was, it's just sort of like a jokey thing, like mm-hmm. a horse opera. Mm-hmm. And then the term soap opera came about because radio shows that were geared toward women, they often had sponsorships from soap powder companies because Mm -hmm. women were considered to be like homemakers. homemakers. Totally. So then they called them soap operas. And then Wilson Tucker, who was a sci-fi author, suggested the term as suggested the term space opera. And his use of it was very derogatory. Like Mm -hmm. it was very shade very rude and but people just started using it to describe any kind of like big story with interplanetary conflict it's a lot it's a lot to unpack star wars (laughs) people think it's just this thing Uh but i love it just Uh like i love lord of the rings like i like harry potter because it's one of those quintessential good versus evil stories right you have all of this action and opportunities for redemption in some of the characters, good characters and bad characters, good characters that do things that are annoying or they make a bad decision. They still have an opportunity to redeem themselves. Bad characters have an opportunity to redeem themselves. 
And will they? Will they choose the right path? One of my favorite things is that someone created this fake place with these really fun, lovable characters, and they keep introducing characters that are amazing villains or like the good guy you want to root for. So, But it all started with the original Star Wars franchise, which is mm-hmm. what we're going to talk about today with Michael. And it's you love this. You I love that. Star Wars. Yeah. I grew up watching it. So my 16th birthday, because I was not cool, was Star Wars themed. My first car amazing. was... Brown so we called it Chewbacca or the Wookiee wagon and screech to a halt roll it back what did your 16th birthday consist of to make it Star Wars themed decorations Uh I think we played a Star Wars game everybody gave me Star Wars gifts that I wish I would have kept because now that everything is popular again I wish I would have hung on to all of that so did you wear Princess Leia buns Mm, I did not. Oh, yeah. Um, I wore my Star Wars t-shirt because I was that kind of cool. P.S. I didn't date in high school, so I don't know if you those two things say. correlate. It's sad that like nerds in our era, was I feel not like cool. nerds in high school now are finding each other. They're celebrating yeah, each other. Yeah, 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 like nerdy fandom is cool now. Yeah. It was not no. in the late 1990s when I was in high school. It was very rude, like a rude time. It was a different place. Yeah. We're calling my car Chewbacca in front of the cool kids. Maybe did not make me cool. Those kids weren't cool. Referring to my car as the Wookiee wagon didn't get me a prom date. I mean, people are just so selective. <laughs> so picky. Picky kids. Nerds. Nerds. I mean, anti-nerds. Well, I'm okay. I'm going to read you this thing from Botanica. Okay. It's, I know it's going to seem like I'm obsessed with the space opera, and it's true. I did a, a deep dive on space opera. No, I want to hear more about okay. the space opera. It, this little thing says, much creative energy has been invested in space opera, science fiction at its most romantic. The space opera is an action-adventure commonly of galactic scale, of which the film cycle Star Wars is the best-known exemplar. It presents a unique type of widescreen Baroque with all the riches of pulp fiction in a single package. For example, Star Wars offer not only advanced scientific technology, presumably necessary to build the starships and orbiting battle stations, but also princesses, smugglers, robots, sword fights, mystical doctrines, levitating gurus, monsters, barroom brawls, heroes of dubious birth, elaborate chase scenes, and gothic death traps. It's a lot to unpack. There's a ton in Star Wars. There's a ton. Imagination gone wild. And I think what the original movies do well is that they keep the action keeps moving along even though they're not I don't feel like there is um fast paced as the newer ones that came out in the last five ten years they still just keep chugging along and it's still fun to go back and watch them because you can compare the site the um special effects from the 70s to now Uh and I think it aged relatively well considering it's 77 when you think that's around the same time as jaws and you look at it now and you're like okay that's obviously not a real shark right (laughs) but people were buying into that 1977 right but there's a lot to unpack and olivia have you seen star wars i have seen star wars have you seen the original three yes all of them totally 100 so this year for halloween are we going to wear star wars costumes together you can be i want to be r2d2 r2d2 so you're going to have to get into a giant garbage can totally we're going to paint it yeah and I'll get you one of those little boards with wheels so I can push you around. Perfect. I'll give you, put like a little handle on the backside and you can just be like, beep, boop, 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 And maybe, I'll just like push you forward. Maybe I could get one of those shoes that kids have 
that oh, like wheel with the little wheels. Those make me so nervous. I'm so scared. How but do I'm they not fall like, backwards in those? It's like watching a cat jump onto the top of a bookshelf. Whenever I see kids, they look so poised. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, how is that physically possible that you are gliding past mm-hmm. me right now? I don't understand. So effortlessly. So yeah, maybe not that because I don't think I could achieve that. I'd fall over my Definitely the board with the wheels. So you be R2-D2. <laughs> okay. I will be Jabba the Hutt. You will. Yep. Always, Wait, thought- always wanted to wear that costume. I thought Jabba the Hutt was the one people hated. He is. He's the gross monster in the third one. When Princess Leia's in the bikini and he's the gross guy that tries to kill Luke Skywalker with yeah, the rancor. Who's the one in the new ones that everyone hates? In the new ones? Yeah. You're thinking about Emperor Palpatine. He's always the bad guy. <sighs> it's that the one that's like... Oh, Jar Jar Binks? Yeah. Gross. I, yeah, that's No, that's a character that never needed to happen. <laughs> Yuck. Just throw up in my mouth a little bit. We're going to talk with, you'll see when we talk with Michael, that people have strong feelings about this series. It inspires strong feelings yes, in people. Yes, it does. I think it's partially because what I said before, you create this whole universe and you give it all these characters and you give it this really sort of tangible life. Right. You breathe this life into this thing that people feel like they really identify with different characters. They identify with the struggles. I feel like a lot of people, you know, especially with the first one, I remember watching as a teenager and feeling like very kind of identifying with the coming of age thing with Luke Skywalker in the first one. He's supposed to be, I think, a teenager early. I think he's supposed to be a teen maybe like 18 or something, maybe early 20s. But it's that coming of age that he needs to leave home. He needs to go find his, find whatever it is to be a pilot, to find his adventure. I think that makes him very relatable. So when people get sucked into a story like that, I think you start to develop relationships with the characters. So you are going to have some, some opinions in the fact that this franchise keeps growing you know, you have people that are really loyal to the originals. You have people that like the prequels that came out in the late 90s, early 2000s. You have people like me that hated them. Yeah. You have people that love the, the um, let's see, so, four, four, four. so seven, eight, nine, the ones that came out that introduced Ray and Finn. You have people that love those. You have people that hate those. You have people that hate the TV shows, love them. It's like everybody has these really strong opinions. Yeah. Because we all feel so... Uh, attached to something because we grew up with these characters, right? They start to feel like part of your childhood. And I think that's a big thing for a lot of people. It's like, I've been watching Star Wars since I was five years old. Like they are, they are as real to me. Um, You know, obviously I'm, I'm an adult. I know it's fake, but that the concept it's as real to me as people I know in my family, because you grow up watching this, these things over and over again. And it feels like something that's part of you, right? Your development. Totally. Yeah, and you get to know them. I totally feel like we have that kind of, or we have the capacity to have those kind of real relationships with fictional characters. Yeah, Well, think of how many times you have that relationship with a book when you're just like, oh my gosh. I know. And you cry and you have all these emotions and it's like, and this emotional roller coaster has been going on for like 40, almost 40 years, right? So that (laughs) kind of speaks to the love of a lot of people. I can't remember if we talked about this in the episode too, but we also, I think you brought up that the stories, they follow like a classic hero's journey story, mm-hmm. which just like hacks our brain chemistry somehow. Like we we understand the classic mm-hmm. hero journey, like being reluctant mm-hmm. to start the journey. Somebody like convinces them to, that's mm-hmm. obviously happening with Luke. They go through this arc, like you talked about, like with, with the opera, like it peaks. Yeah. 
And there's just something that we understand like on a biological level about the hero's journey. Which is interesting because so many of us are going to lead quiet lives, right? Without being called to to step into these roles, but we are still fascinated with it. Think of so many of the stories we've grown up with. You know, you have Harry Potter, you have Lord of the Rings, you have, yes. I'm trying to think of all these kids series where it's like, you have to step forward and be the one that takes charge or change isn't going to happen. You know, Maze Runner series, Divergent, Hunger Games, it always has to be the one person who decides I'm going to do this and I'm going to try and make things better. And I actually, you set me up perfectly because I actually found this quote. So there's this really fun mental floss article that came out in um, 2019, so a few years ago, called 65 Facts About the Star Wars Universe. And I love this. This is number one. I just want to read it to you. So shout out to Mental Floss for this fun article. It says, though equally inspired by fairy tales, westerns, and 1930s sci-fi serials, George Lucas based the framework of the story for the original Star Wars around the theories of George Campbell's book, the hero with a thousand faces. The book tracked common mythological motifs and argued that myths from around the world that have been passed down through generations like Beowulf or King Arthur share a basic structure. According to Campbell, a hero ventures forth from the world of common day into a region of supernatural wonder. Fabulous forces are there encountered and a decisive victory is won. The hero comes back from this mysterious adventure with the power to bestow boons on his fellow man. Lucas simply grafted these ideas onto his story with Luke as the main hero. Oh, like these classic myths. Yeah. Isn't that Joseph Campbell? Yeah. Yeah. I remember reading, um, I think it was for like a myths class in college or something, The Power of Myth. Yeah. Or watching it. Yeah, it's like I those... remember discussing this in college. It's so funny when I read that. I was like, oh, my God. I even remember my professor being like George Lucas. Yeah. But it's interesting because what makes us love it so much, as I was reading this, I'm thinking of so many things we've talked about on this show. You have, like, The Princess Bride where you have the hero story. Yeah. You have so many movies, so many books from when you were a kid up until now. If you read fantasy or sci-fi at all, it's like this should be a very familiar trope to you. Right. Because... It's been around since, I mean, Beowulf is one of our first recorded stories. Right. So we understand. First written it. stories. Yeah. Like it's just in our brains. It's in our DNA. And I think you said something interesting too, which was that if you ground a story in that sort of classic hero's journey structure, mm-hmm. you get away with the princesses, smugglers, robots, sword yeah. fights, mystical doctrines. Because we are already with you on the story part, so you can do all this crazy stuff, and we'll be like, okay, we have the bandwidth for this. We already know the hero's journey. I mean, in the original Star Wars, the first time you meet Chewie, and, you know, let's say you've never seen it, you're going to watch it after this podcast, you're already at that point, you're willing to follow along because they're in this cantina, this bar, with this crazy music being played by weird alien characters and you just look around and it's like maybe Chewbacca isn't that hard to hard to believe in when you see all the other people that are around all the other characters right and it's like by that point in the movie which I think is like 20 30 minutes in it's like you're willing to believe a lot you know he's got talking robots he's got a space racer little thing that he drives around you know it's like all these are other things and it's like you're willing to believe him because you're so sucked into his story yes at the beginning totally so Star Wars, Star Wars, you guys, just come on, just come on it. now. If get you haven't up. seen it just yet, get just get there. on that train. On. So just make sure that you, um, you know, put on your Yoda ears or your 
Princess Leia cinnamon buns and hunker down and watch it. If you haven't seen it yet, try. So good. We don't recommend on the podcast putting actual cinnamon buns on your head because that would be sticky and you could get bugs. That's true. Maybe not. You know, you got to think about that kind of thing. Okay, um, a little note before we mm-hmm. start. You might notice the sound quality on this is just a little bit wonk. Um, who's to say whose fault that was, you know? What's what's fault mean? Anyway, who who was responsible for setting up the sound equipment correctly? We're not here to judge or point <laughs> fingers. And the other thing is we talked about trying to re-record it with Michael, but when you have magic... It's hard to replicate it. So yeah. we were afraid we were going to lose part of this original Good conversation time. trying to re-record it. So we chose to keep the slightly muffly sounding recording. So just hunker down. It's going to be amazing still. Yeah, it's, it's really good. It's not that bad. It's not that bad. But, but settle in for a fantastic conversation about Star Wars with Michael. Yeah. And just don't think about who was supposed to figure it out. We're not here to point fingers, Olivia. No, that's not what that's not what George Lucas would want us to do. It's definitely not something Olivia does not. So Bye. Bye. <laughs> <laughs>
is interesting about people's relationship with Star Wars now, particularly, is there is... So I, wa- I watched these movies, like, maybe a couple times years and years ago. So I had to refresh. So I watched A New Hope last night, and I watched it with my boyfriend. And his reaction was so nitpicky. Like, as we were watching it, he's like, how did that happen? How did he get there? And he was very nitpicky about George Lucas's revisions and the things oh, that yeah. he had put in. So do you want to talk a little bit about that, about the history of it, maybe for people who don't know? So as for those who don't know, Star Wars came out in 1977, right? And uh, George Lucas made it with uh, 20th Century Fox, I believe. And then uh, he didn't really like the studio interference, so he bought it from them. And from then on, he owned... Uh, Star Wars, so he had a vision of either he had a star, a vision of, of 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 the Skywalker clan in their story, but he was limited by technology at the time, so that's why he started with Episode Four because he couldn't make the films he wanted to make, so he started with you know Luke as an adult and everything, mm. and then um, with the prequels or sorry, um, as technology advanced, mm-hmm. he as an artist wanted to. Uh, complete the vision that he originally had. So in 1997, he created what some of us call the abomination, <laughs> which are the special edition. Yeah. Um, you know, um, Han not shooting first. Um, the the CGI. Uh, sorry, Jabba the Hut in yeah. that scene. You know, and or the ride the Millennium Falcon. Yeah. We've discussed this on a previous podcast. Yeah. I want them to just release the originals because you can't find the originals anymore. So years ago, I bought a set at uh, Costco where they had the original mm-hmm. and the I special had them on edition. VHS. But in general, George Lucas tried to make them disappear, mm-hmm. and he really made it hard. And this is where you're going to keep me on track because this is one of the fundamental things about George Lucas that. A lot of us in the community have an issue with is he not only wanted the vision his way so he started to change star wars to what mm-hmm. he wanted and seemed to not care about what people wanted but he also made it harder for us to get what we wanted mm, yeah. so it's like he took us in a direction that we didn't want to go which again goes to the argument of who owns star wars which hopefully we'll uh, get into but not only did he take us in that direction but he took what we wanted away so it's not like i i, I as an artist i want to go this way and but if you still want to watch the original, that like he made them harder to get. He wouldn't release the masters. He's tried to scrub the internet to get every aspect of the of the um, holiday special, you know, off because he was embarrassed by it. So in 1997, he released the the, the special edition, and for those purists, it's 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 difficult. Well, I wonder, is it so? Steve had a real kind of cynical take on it. He thought that the re uh, the revisions and everything was like a mercenary thing because every time you revise something, people have to rebuy it. So you have to rebuy mm-hmm. this version, then you have to buy this version, then if you want the old version, you have to buy the old version. And he thought it was sort of like that. I wondered if it was more of like an artistic obsession. See, I took it more. When we later, when they released the prequels, which what, what was the first one was Phantom Menace. Phantom Menace. When ninety nine. Ninety nine. I thought he intentionally like in ninety nine, not in nineteen ninety seven, but in ninety nine, I was like, oh, so he re released those to get it back in the public conscience because he was going to be dropping this prequel. Oh, could be. I was so excited about and so severely disappointed. I just rewatched them. This past fall, and I was like, oh, they still don't, I still hate them. Yeah. I mean, that's still like my 20 years later knee jerk 
dislike yeah. that was so so the original ones were 77 80 83 correct then we took a jump to 99 do you want to talk about well 97 was a special edition 97 and can, uh, just to quickly answer your question olivia um i think it's a it's an amalgamation of both okay. i think i think george lucas as an artist i think he made the changes primarily because again as the technology became available he wanted to make them into the vision that he originally saw Okay. Um, I think that there is an element of um, monetizing it as well, because that's one of the things. Like initially, he had um, a creative partner, Lawrence, Lawrence Kasdan. Okay. Uh, for in the process, the creative process, George Lucas had some pushback. And by someone else directing it, Empire, he had other input. And Empire is generally considered the best. The best. So from my understanding, Lawrence Kasdan and George Lucas parted ways after Empire Strikes Back. One of the major points of contention was that George Lucas was starting to make decision based upon the marketability of the characters. Mm -hmm. For example, I think from a story standpoint, Kasdan wanted Han Solo to die at the end of Empire. Oh wow! Because he gets his redemption, right? It's a good. He, he starts off as this, the, the scoundrel, the mercenary. He ends up helping them, and then he sacrifices and gets his ultimate redemption. But George Lucas was like, I can't kill off one of my main characters. Right. Yeah. So to go to your question, I think you know it was it was artistic and and monetary um and then you were starting to talk about um, the, prequels. the prequels do you think that he got what he wanted with the prequels yes and, I, and, I, and i'll tell you why um do did we the fans get what we wanted with the prequels unequivocally not indubitably not like i can't even stress enough not 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 absolutely not do <laughs> i think that he did yes now i came to this realization years ago because i put way 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 too much time into thinking about star wars my relationship with star wars like way more than any normal person <laughs> should <laughs> so almost like like i dedicated like therapy time to it sure. like self but one of the things that came out of it was i came to an understanding because i thought for years why would he do this to me like i took it personally why is he trying you know, like with michael bay with the transformers all why are these people coming after my childhood and leave my childhood alone like why is george lucas why did he give me my childhood? Now, why is he trying to take it away? And what I finally came to realize is that George Lucas has always geared Star Wars towards the kids. Yeah. But I wasn't a kid anymore. Yeah. So Daddy got a new family. <laughs> right? I mean, the prequels weren't for me. Jar Jar Binks, if you talk to younger people, they love Jar Jar Binks. Oh, yeah. Right. You know, because that's the target. Well, that's huge. That's exactly what I, the conclusion I came to when I was watching it with Steve, yeah. is that he loved it so much, and he had this, like, anger. Like, he did, yeah. like, anger towards the things that didn't work, and he, yeah. and I thought, is this anger coming from really a disappointment in this kid's movie, or is it that you're not a kid anymore? Is it, like, do we, and I feel that people feel that way about the, like they want the things that they loved when they were kids to bring them that same joy, and yeah. it doesn't always. And it's really hard to face the fact that you don't necessarily have access to that childhood joy anymore. Mm -hmm. Well, Amanda, I still love the movies as much as I did when I was a kid. The original three, I can still watch them, and I can excuse any mistakes, any holes in the plot. Yeah, I don't see it. I choose not to see it in the same way I watched Jurassic Park, and I still think it holds up for me in the way that I was like, whoa, in 1990. See, Jurassic, sorry, I apologize for it. No, that's okay. Jurassic Park, um, <laughs> Jurassic Park to me does hold up. Yes. I will disagree that Star Wars, especially Return of the Jedi, I have to be totally honest, it doesn't hold up. What I'm seeing, though, is, um, so you both have this, like, childhood attachment to the movies and yeah. to these stories. 
But um, even if it doesn't, quote unquote, hold up, just a you know, I, I don't know that there isn't objectively speaking, but if, if it doesn't hold up, Amanda, you're, you're just going to set that aside because mm-hmm. it still brings you that childhood yeah. joy. Do you have anything, though, from your childhood that you uh, watch now and it makes you angry or you just don't care? You know, there's some books that I've chosen not to reread yeah. because I'm scared that I will have a different experience. Um, so I'm more hesitant to read a lot of the books that I enjoyed as a kid for that reason. I don't want to ruin or taint that memory. Movies, yeah. not so much for me. I did try and rewatch Willow. And I was like, ooh, this did not age well. That's right. why someone was like, oh, you should rewatch um, The NeverEnding Story. And I'm like, no, no. no. I liked it when I was a kid. But even when I was a kid, I was like, this is, this doesn't look right. See, I tried rewatching Thundercats. No. And it, you got to let that lie. Yeah, it doesn't because it's so bad. Yeah. It's so bad. And I loved Thundercats. He-Man. That also... The part of it is also that the technology's advanced so much. Like yeah. when Thundercat was jumping over a canyon or something, it literally was just, you know, just like a, the, yeah. it didn't look like it literally hovered, looked like it was just and moving. They moved. Yeah, yeah. It was, the colored sheets so it looked like it was bad. See, I think with Star Wars, though, the reason why for me that I because this relationship with George Lucas became so strained over the years, and there's a, I just want to make sure I mention this. There's a a documentary called The People Versus George Lucas. Mm-hmm. Um, if you have not seen it, check okay. it out. The stuff we're talking about, the the relationship between George Lucas and the fans who, who own Star Wars, right? Mm-hmm. The, 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 it became this phenomenon and people took it into their lives. So does that warrant them any amount of ownership? Did George Lucas owe us anything? Because he seemed to make decisions almost to spite us. Mm-hmm. Oh, I, I know you don't want the changes, but you know what? Han's not going to shoot first, yeah. right? I can do this. I want to make these changes. He knew how people felt, but he said, you know what? No, the holiday special was beloved, but he said, no, I don't want you to have access to it. So he created this adversarial <laughs> relationship. So that's what this documentary is all about. Yeah. You know, it's like he, he was toying with us. Yeah. So it's like, it's like, why are, you know, and by the way, it's very interesting because if you notice, he was very, uh, it felt like stubborn and personal with that. Like, I'm changing it regardless. Yeah. But anytime anybody wanted to use Star Wars, mm-hmm. he was okay with it. Like in Spaceballs. Really? He was supportive of Spaceballs, which is a Star Wars spoof. And if you if you see in the, the diner scene towards the end, there's a little Millennium Falcon parked outside the diner. Mm. Oh, I never noticed that. Yeah, he was very, very supportive of that. Or um, a Family Guy had a, a Star Wars oh, right. trilogy. You know, a robot chicken had a Star Wars thing. He was very supportive of people using Star Wars. Interesting. He wasn't stingy about it. Fan films, he wasn't stingy about it. But when it came to his creative changes, it seemed so instigatory. So he stuck to his guns with that. That's why I kind of think your question before, I do think it was more artistic. Artistic. Because that seemed to be the place where he dug his... I mean, I, I don't know him. Obviously, I can't speak for him. But that seemed to be where he really dug his heels in like he had to have known that people you know didn't like it and he had to have known that Jar Jar Binks was I mean come on I know isn't it (laughs) ironic though that he's so so I studied poetry in school and Walt Whitman was the same way where he would there are about 12 different versions of Leaves of Grass grass, because he revised it his whole life he just kept changing it and putting out new ones and new ones and it's I think as a creative person, I can identify with it because you make this thing, it's successful, people love it, and then there's this fear 
about the next thing you do. And it's like, well, I'm not going to do that. I'll because do you still have access to the originals? I'm, yeah, and people yeah. in Leaves in leaves of Grass, you can do that too. So that's what I'm saying. George Lucas... But I just mean like thinking about him as an artist, I do understand that need to yeah. like keep revising. But isn't it funny that to have that attachment and then the main characters, like the good guys in Star Wars are all about like non-attachment and like monks. They're about just like... I just read this whole thing about Tibetan monks. Did you ever read that about the sand mandalas? They spend weeks, like hours every day, weeks making these intricate mandalas out of sand. Do mandalas are like a, a really intricate image that they use crust, crushed colored sand, okay. crushed like rocks to make them. And then after they're made, they sweep them into the river oh, and wow. the river just takes them away. So it's like this ultimate, like, this doesn't belong to me. This is just something I made, and the right. making it was the important thing, and now I let it go, and I do something else. And it's about the journey, not the destination. It's all about the climb. We're coming up close on time. We should talk really quickly about Disney, him selling out to Disney. Was the happiest day of my life. <laughs> yes. I when celebrated. Okay, so Disney bought Lucasfilm in October 30th, 2012. Okay. My birthday! No really? way! See? Happy birthday to Yeah, I was absolutely thrilled because I just, it was like ding dong, the witch is dead. Like, it's just, um, I was very, very it was happy. time. Yeah. And look at all the nice things that Disney has done with it. They've, they have inexhaustible resources to keep doing all these spinoffs, and we can talk about that. Rate your favorite spinoff. I don't, I hated... Uh, Boba Fett. Mandalorian we like, but my husband and I lovingly call it the A-Team because it feels like you're watching <laughs> episodes of the A-Team. Like, you're just like, this feels really familiar. Okay, we're going right. out to help people, and it's always the same thing. Right. We're going and solving somebody else's problem. And sometimes I'm like, this is not moving the story anywhere. Right. But, but Baby Yoda, so. That's my Baby Yoda. Mandalorian is actually what brought me, it helped rekindle and fall back in love with Star Wars. So, can I ask, what is your favorite Star Wars movie? Would it be Empire Strikes Back? Uh, Empire, yeah. Okay. Do you still get the same, like, little charge of excitement that you got when you watched it when you were younger? Probably not for the first time. I, you know, honestly, I was thinking about that on my drive over here today. Um, you know, in, in, in right in the beginning, when you, you got the, the drum beat, you know, dun 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 and then the Lucasfilms Limited goes from, like, gold to silver to platinum or whatever it is and then it goes black and then you know you have a long time ago in the galaxy far yeah, far yeah. away and then you have that score start i do still yeah because there's I mean, something yeah i still get that charge anytime i hear that i stop what i'm doing to listen to it right totally it's like totally pavlovian it's just like okay yeah. something awesome is coming yeah yeah it's exciting yeah and that has never been taken away thank god i will say when i was young and I, so i was 14 when the first harry potter movie came out yeah. i loved and whenever the preview would come on before the movies had come out, mm -hmm. I would, and that um, that score started, yeah. uh, I would stop what I was doing and just go watch. I would watch the same preview mm -hmm. a million times. Mm -hmm. Yep, and that, that's John Williams too. Yeah. We could do a whole other. I love John Williams. I saw him play at Tanglewood, which is um, for the Boston Symphony Orchestra summers in Massachusetts, and someone donated tickets to the farm I worked at, and I got to go and see him. And he conducted the Boston Symphony Orchestra, and they did all of his movies. They did snippets of, so you got to hear the Jaws theme. You got right. Star Wars and here. And the whole time, I was just, like, mouth open, so excited. Because Do you know it's who his the, son is? Who? John Williams' son is the lead singer of the band Toto. Oh, no way. 
Oh, Africa? Yeah. God bless the rains down and that. That's his that's, song. That song's a bop. That's I'm saying. Just, well, we could talk about this forever. Okay. Thank you so much for Thank being you. here today. This was fascinating. I learned a bunch about Star Wars, but I didn't know. This is going to go watch that documentary. Yeah, it's really good. It's really good. Thank you very much for having me. Thank you. Nice to meet you. May the force be with you. May the force be with you. Thank you for listening to The Books We Loved, a podcast through the Troy Public Library. You can find more information about the books and library services we mentioned in the show on our website at troypl.org slash podcast. If you would like to suggest a topic for future discussion, please email us at podcast at troypl.org. Thank you for listening and happy reading. Happy reading.